Hi, I'm Antonia, and I'm a midwife. Hi, I'm Micah, and I'm a midwife. Hi, I'm Jane, I'm a midwife. Hi, I'm Savannah, a student midwife. Hi, I'm Lucy, and I'm a midwifery support worker. Hello, my name's Gul Barno, and I'm a midwife. Hi, I'm Abby, and I'm a birth Hello, I'm Gemma Murphy. Welcome to episode three of our 2022 podcast series, focusing on safe staffing and the staffing challenges facing maternity services. Now, it's no secret rising demands on maternity services are colliding with years of underfunding and underinvestment, and this is creating the perfect storm of factors which are affecting maternity safety and the quality of care that midwives can deliver. More importantly, they're affecting the everyday working lives of RCM members. England has a chronic shortage of over 2,000 midwives and the situation is deteriorating month on month, with midwife numbers falling and worsened by the pandemic. Now, it's not only England, services in Northern Ireland, Scotland and Wales are also feeling the strain too. And I'm afraid I have to say yes, when you see the pressures the midwives are under, the pressures the unit is under you're there at that point but you're there as a student you can sort of take a, a, a back step but you know this is where you're heading you know they, they, they there is no sugar coating over that and you do ask yourself I do ask myself do I still want to be doing this job the answer is still yes but that is sometimes pushed <laughs> pushed yeah. to the limit um, the answer is still yes, and it's trying to see how you can protect yourself, how you can be resilient. That was Catherine Cargill, a second year student midwife who had previously worked as a maternity support worker. I had a really great, frank and honest conversation with Catherine about her career choice and the realities that those entering the midwifery profession are faced with. They're witnessing a really stressful service and they are training and preparing to go and work within that service. It is daunting. We'll hear more from Catherine later in the episode. Just as I recorded this episode, the RCM again called out the government's poor record on maternity funding and investment, which we know leaves some NHS trusts and boards basing their midwifery staffing levels on what they can afford, not what's safe or what they need. Delivering the safest possible care for women and their babies must be the driving force behind maternity service funding. That's what the RCM has once again said in the last couple of weeks in a newly outlined position statement on safer staffing. So I caught up with the RCM's Head of Health and Social Policy, Sean O'Sullivan, to find out more about the RCM's position on safe staffing and the upcoming Ockingdon Review due to be published on March 30th. How are you, Sean? I'm good, thanks. Nice, nice to be speaking to you again. Yeah, no, it's good. It seems like a, quite a while, and lots of things have happened, of course, since we since we've uh, spoke on the podcast. Now we are going to talk about the brand new position statement on safer staffing, which was published in the last week or so. But firstly, as an organisation, the ICM produces a lot of position statements across a whole array of issues. What really is the purpose of that? 
you're right. I mean, we're we're often asked by our members, but but also by politicians, by the media, by by other decision makers. What does the RCM think about a particular issue? So, uh, position statements is an opportunity for us to set out our view on an issue of relevance to maternity care. Normally, it will be something fairly topical, and I think safe staffing is certainly that. And it can sometimes be on a subject for which there isn't a consensus. So we've done position statements on issues such as continuity of carer, infant feeding and abortion. So, I mean, they're meant to be quite concise, punchy statements, setting out our clear view and containing a a series of recommendations, which would be for midwifery management. It could be for politicians and indeed for our own members to take note of and to act on. Yeah and like I said they're really they're actually really helpful for myself and my colleagues in the communications team because you mentioned the media and we do use these position statements when we're writing and forming comments and messages for the wider public as well as our members. So the new I'm going to say the new and improved but it's the kind of it's a reviewed position statement Sean the safer staffing one. Yes the original position statement was published in 2016 and that reflected some of the issues on the day so we'd had the Francis report into issues at Mid Staffordshire which had led to a series of recommendations one of which was developing safe staffing guidelines so we put out a position statement not long after NICE had published safe staffing guidelines for midwives but since then a lot has happened I mean we'll come on to staffing numbers but certainly in the last six years staffing shortages have if anything got worse and we've seen a lot of challenges you know we've had the Ockenden report on intrusion in Telford Hospital and the final reports coming out in a couple of weeks and we've also had the challenges of implementing the maternity transformation program and what that means when you your staffing levels may not be what you want them to be. So a lot we've had a lot to take into consideration in updating this statement. Absolutely. And it's no surprise that it's happened now because safer staffing is so important. So there has been lots and lots of widely reported talk and, and chatter amongst you know members of the public, service users, and of course our own members about how bad the midwife shortage is at the moment. It's been widely reported and things don't seem to be getting any better, Sean. Unfortunately, things appear to be getting worse. So the most recent data we've got on midwife numbers in England, for example, shows that as of last December, there were 340 fewer midwives in England than was the case a year previously in December 2020. And that's carried on a pattern for the last six months where we've seen a fall in numbers compared to the previous year. And what's particularly significant about that is that We've got data going back to 2009, and until last year, we'd we'd not seen one example of the number of midwives in post being fewer than they'd been a year previously. Now we've seen this six months on the bounce, and in fact, the figs in December showed the biggest drop of all. So it it definitely does feel like things things are getting worse. Yeah, think things are bad out there. I mean, and, and those listening will know that more, more than ever because they're feeling the pressures in service. So this position statement, of course, I've read it myself, has again called out the government and it's really 
poor record shown on investment and maternity service funding because it's this is like a, a storm but it's been building for a long time that, that's right I, I think this is this is going back over many years and the situation you had in many maternity services was that staffing levels were being set not based on the needs of the women and babies that the service was looking after but on what a particular trust or health board could afford and and so really affordability was trumping sort of the needs of women and babies now i think in the last year the government has invested more money it did that particularly in response to the interim Ockenden report so i think that's good but as you say it's really trying to address something that has built up over a number of years and as the health select committee in its report on maternity safety said last year Whilst this extra money is welcome, it's not enough to ensure that every maternity service is able to provide safe staffing levels. Right. Who is ultimately responsible for ensuring there are enough midwives and the safe levels of staffing? And, you know, what's really important, and the RCM talks about this a lot, is having the right staff with the right skill mix to deliver safe care in the right place at the right time. But at at the end of the day, who is ultimately responsible, Sean? Well, in our position statement, we do say that that everyone has got some responsibility here in looking at what staffing levels are like and in raising concerns. So that would include midwives, maternity support workers, students, other members of the maternity team. But ultimately, the buck stops with the boards of NHS maternity providers they are the people who need to ensure that midwifery staffing levels in their service are sufficient to meet the the needs of women and babies and provide safe, effective and high quality care. Right. And you just mentioned there, everybody has a responsibility. It's like safety and maternity services is everybody's responsibility. But do you think there's an environment that's being created over many years in maternity services where issues and concerns and fears aren't raised because staff feel that they can't raise them or they're reluctant to raise them, particularly about levels of safe staffing? I think, unfortunately, that's the case. And we've seen it in a series of reports about issues in maternity services and and the wider NHS, where there does feel to be a sort of a poor culture where it, it feels difficult to raise concerns or that where people have raised concerns and it doesn't look like anything has been done to address those concerns, eventually people disengage and the feeling of, well, well, what's the point? Is anyone listening? And I think that's why, for example, we recently issued guidance and a, a statement on speaking up in support of high standards. And so part of that and part of this statement is trying to encourage everyone to raise concerns, but also those in positions of responsibility to ensure that the culture and the environment is conducive and encouraging to people voicing concerns. Yeah, it's so important, isn't it, that people feel that they can do that. And you mentioned standing up for higher standards. That includes advice and guidance for all our members available on the website rcm.org.uk if you wanted to check that out and and share it amongst your colleagues. Some really sound advice in there on, on how you can raise issues. Sean, we can't talk, I guess, about safe staffing levels without talking about the delivery of continuity of carer. Mm -hmm. What is going on with that at the moment? Because we did, the ICM did call for it to be suspended at one point during the pandemic. Is that right? 
Yes, and what's what's happened now is that NHS England have paused the targets around implementing continuity of carer um, until the summer, we understand. And we think that's a sensible approach because whilst we support continuity of care and we recognise the evidence around outcomes and, and good experiences, we also know that you need to have the right number of staff in place to effectively implement continuity of carer. And what we are hearing loud and clear from members in many services is that their staffing levels aren't where they need to be, and it's creating additional pressures. This is something, incidentally, that was also recognised by the Health Select Committee in its evaluation of maternity policy commitments, including continuity of carer, that you really need to think through when you're implementing major changes to services what that's going to mean in terms of things like resources and training. And probably not enough of that was done. And so there's now an opportunity, I think, to to reset priorities and to think through how we can do this properly, but also to get the staffing in to do it. Of course. And you you mentioned having the right numbers of staff, Sean. At the moment in, in the UK, what is the tool? Is there only one tool, Birth Rate Plus, that calculates staffing numbers? As far as the RCM is concerned, we we think birth rate plus is really the only um, effective recognised tool that does this for midwifery. And why we support this is because it's based on a quality standard of trying to ensure that there are enough midwives employed to give every woman in labour one-to-one care. And it's based on the principle that that's the minimum standard but that if you have a case mix where you have a high number of women with complex or or special needs or need emergency care, then you then build in additional time to reflect that. And you also factor in enough staffing time to cover staff absences, whether that's annual leave, uh, sickness absence, study leave, so that you can be sure that you've you've got sufficient numbers in place to to cover all eventualities. Sean, with the full Ockingdon review set to be published really in a a couple of days after this podcast is, is published, the interim review last year highlighted low staffing levels that were compromising safety at Shrewsbury and Telford. Are we expecting to see more on workforce issues in this full Ockingdon review? And will the government listen when the review is published and they talk about safe staffing levels? Mm. Yes, in short, I'm, I'm fairly confident that staffing levels and the needs to ensure safe staffing will, will feature prominently in the report. Now, will will the government listen? Well, I think you've been confident that they say that they they are listening and that they will act. The proof of the pudding will be in the next year or two as to whether we see the the recommendations that Ockenden makes, whether they are implemented. Going back to our original position statement, as I said, that was based on the Francis report into Mid-Staffordshire Hospital. And at the time, everyone said lessons need to be learned. We will, of course, implement all the recommendations this must never happen again. Well, six years in, we can see that not everything was implemented. So whilst it's important that when the report is published in a couple of weeks' time, that everyone does say that they want to implement the recommendations, we need to be monitoring this over the next year or two and beyond to ensure that that is in fact what happens. 
Yeah, and I guess services and, and you know, you know, midwife managers and those running services, directors of midwifery homes, they need the time to embed these changes and recommendations, don't they as well? They need time and they mostly need enough staff to do that. Yes, and we recognise that this isn't something where you can flick a switch and suddenly next week you have enough staff, particularly because we think the challenge is as much about retaining existing staff as it is about recruiting new staff into the service. And just as the staffing shortages have built up over a series of years, it's going to take time to turn that around and to bring in the measures that not only will attract new people into midwifery, but will ensure that those already there, those with the wealth of knowledge and experience, feel supported and able to to remain in the profession. Well, that's it. It's all about retaining. And like you say, what staff wanting to stay within midwifery, because when, when you looked at our member survey last year, what members were telling us was those who had only worked in the NHS as a midwife for five years or less were already considering leaving. I mean, that's really shocking, isn't it, to be so new in your profession and wanting to leave because the pressures are just so bad. Yes, and that that speaks to the, the level of pressures that there are at the moment. And then, of course, you've had two years of challenge of working through the pandemic. So I don't think anyone should be under any illusion of the scale of the challenge that maternity services face. And it's incumbent on all of us to, to really work together to address that. And what I'd hope is that our, our position statement on safe staffing will, will make some contribution towards that. Absolutely, Sean. I must ask, what we, we spoke about the Ockington Review, but in terms of, mem- of members, what can members expect that the RCM will do once the Ockington Review is published? Well, as soon as we can get our hands on the Ockington Report, we will be going through it and, and reviewing it and setting out our response and our reaction to the findings and the recommendations and we will be developing communications for members setting that out and we will also be going through all the recommendations to identify where we as the RCM have a role to play and where midwifery services also has a role to uh, implement recommendations and we'll be setting out our own plan and strategy on how to deal with all of that. Absolutely. We've got a busy couple of weeks ahead, Sean. And for anyone interested in looking at the position statement on safer staffing, that is on our website now in the position statement section of the website, Safer Staffing. Do read that, Sean. Thank you so much for your time as ever. Not at all, Gemma. It's been a pleasure. Take care. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. I'm really happy this morning to be joined by Catherine Cargill, who is a NHS worker, but in particular, someone who has a lot of experience in maternity services from an MSW, now to be training as a midwife. How are you, Catherine? I am fine. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be talking on your podcast. Oh, thank you for taking the time out. Now, I introduced you as someone who spent a lot of time working in maternity services, but how long have you worked in the NHS? Oh, well, I don't know if it's a long time, but I started as a maternity support worker, MSW, in 2016. So um, I've been, I, I did that role until 2020, when I then went on to become a student midwife. 
And and like, can I ask you, how has that been? Because we read lots of stories at the moment and, and we hear all the time from members how pressurised it is working in maternity services, how busy it is, how, how there isn't enough staff to cope with the demand. Have you felt that pressure over the last five years in the NHS? Yes, I have felt that pressure as a maternity support worker. It is busy. Maternity is busy. And there's everywhere in the NHS, as most people know, there's a shortage of staff. So yes, it is. There is a lot of work to 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 be to to do. There is a lot of work to be doing, and I think what keeps us going for most people and for myself is that we choose that career path, and what keeps us going is the work itself that we working with women and babies so in spite of the challenges we keep going it's it's incredible what you do and what all midwives do I often think it's almost a vocation it's very different to other careers isn't it so yes. something something in your mind, you know, loads of midwives are, are wanting to leave the NHS because they're burnt out and they've had enough or many are coming close to retirement. But you decided to, to become a midwife. So you're currently training to be a midwife. Yes, yes, I know. It, it, <laughs> it's one of those things. Um, but I've always wanted to be a midwife, but I wasn't able to earlier on in my working career and mostly because of family commitments. Uh, when my children were younger, there was no way I could do the long hours because I, I, I knew all along that the hours were long, the job is demanding, the training is demanding. So there's, there was no way I could do that with having a young family. And, you know, I raise my heart off to many, many midwives who do the training with young families as well. So that's why I did not start then. But all along, I wanted to get in. But then every time I wanted to get in, something happened. For example, I tried to get in 2015, 2016, and then the bursary was stopped. Yeah. Um, so then that was definitely off the cards at that point. I couldn't do it. You know, it's so funny that you should talk about the bursary because the RCM was adamant that that bursary had to stay and they campaigned so, you know, so much for that bursary to remain. And, and, and it was a blocker. It prevented you from entering the career earlier. And that's what the RCM warned the government about, which is kind of upsets me in a way that you couldn't enter because the bursary was gone and you were just one of many people. Yes, yes. And and at that point, that's when I became a maternity support worker instead, because I wanted to be working in that industry. And I thought, OK, this is what I can do now. And yes. let's wait and, and, and see what happens. So then I started in 2016 and I enjoyed, definitely enjoyed working as a maternity support worker, started at Band 3 in the community, working with midwives, working alongside midwives. And then I got another role as a band four, as immunization for pregnant women. And I did that until 2020. So when the pandemic hit in 2020, I wanted to do more because I could see uh, there was a, a great need for midwives, for MSW, everywhere in the NHS, you know, when the pandemic yeah. hit, the services were stretched. And I really, really wanted to do more. But I could not do more um, than what I could do then because of I didn't have the training needed to be able to do more. 
And when I had my appraisal that year, my team leader said, you know, Catherine, you've been talking about wanting to be a midwife for ages. When are you going to do it? Yeah. <laughs> it's because of the money, you know, if, if I... If I could get sponsorship yeah. and I tried to get sponsorship, I spoke to everyone in the organization to try and get sponsorship, but there was nothing. There was absolutely nothing. And during that appraisal, we, you know, that got me thinking that I either do it now or never. I love, I, I hate the fact that it was so difficult for you because of course, everyone's got life commitments, mortgages, rent, yes. children, caring commitments. And how do you just conjure up this, you know, amount of money that you need to train? But I absolutely love the fact that you're a leader, that your manager was encouraging you. Like, when are you going to do yes. it, Catherine? Yes, many, many midwives were asking me that, many yeah. friends, because they knew that I really wanted to and that I was very passionate with the job, even, you know, as a maternity support worker, and I was always willing to learn anything that I could do within my role, I did. <laughs> and any training that was offered within that role as maternity support worker, I did. And during that time, I joined the RCM as well, because that um, becoming an MSW advocate helped me because at the beginning I thought I wasn't a leader there's no way you know I did not count myself as a leader yeah. but I went to a training uh, uh, for the MSW advocate and one of the trainings is leadership and it started think making me think okay as an MSW I can still be a leader so I became an advocate and also became a learning rep for wow. our branch because again, I was passionate about uh, training and development and learning. So I thought, oh, those are things I can do alongside my role as MSW. So people knew I was passionate about the profession. And so people were always encouraging me to go and do it. Anyway, cut the long story short, I decided to do that and pay for the course myself. Got the support of my family, but it was, it was scary. It still is scary and challenging. When I handed in my notice, <laughs> that was quite emotional because I was giving up a job at a time when people were looking for jobs. Of course. I can imagine. That it was scary. It was a scary moment. And I think a week later, I went back to my manager and said, oh, can I take back my resignation? <laughs> <laughs> It, yeah, it was a scary to give up a job. And like and you not. said, you, I'm assuming because you're two year, years into the training that you did this at, kind of as the p pandemic was beginning almost. Yes. It? yes. Which was even more terrifying. Height, it was. The, it was. It was really at the height of the pandemic. Yes. Yes. But it was, I did, I sat back and thought, okay, if I don't do this now, what am I going to do? And I looked around, I'd done different careers and there was genuinely honestly nothing else I wanted to do but to pursue becoming a midwife because I knew the challenges I knew the financial constraint and I still wanted to go ahead and do it well and incredible so you're, you're two yes. year, you're two years into your training so there's obviously a blended approach so you've got placement and you've got the academic learning do you find, is this a, a kind of a stupid question for me? Do you find 
the placement easier because you have previously been working in maternity services, in maternity units, etc.? Yes and no. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, because some of the areas I've worked in, like in the community, the postnatal ward, the antenatal ward, I know some of the skills as well. Uh, So from that point of view, yes, I'm sort of comfortable in the environment. But my first placement, I was in a hospital that I hadn't been in. So I had to learn everything, you know, the culture of the place, how things are done differently. But also, on the other hand, it's a different responsibility as a student, as a student midwife, different from when you're a maternity support worker. There's more more pressure? Definitely there's more pressure. There's more pressure, yes, yes. And and do you find colleagues are helpful, are are colleagues so busy themselves that they just don't have time to support? Yes Yes and no. So, again, it depends on the day, you know, what what is happening. On the whole of it, people have been very supportive. We're very supportive of each other as students and also the mentors we work with, the supervisors we work with, our CPFs, the clinical placement facilitators. Everyone is very willing to help, but the the workload sometimes is, is, is a lot. And if on that particular day, for example, you know, when we, when the pandemic was still high, you would have, you know, midwives off. So so then there, there would be, you know, less people around to be supportive and people are working long hours, long days, trying to fill all those gaps. So sometimes they would not be able to be as supportive as they wanted or as we or I needed as a student. Yes, yes. Of course, that's that's understandable. And, you know, you're obviously quite brave and you're quite a positive person. And you've got a positive outlook. But when you, you're looking into the future, are you daunted by the, the challenges and the underinvestment and the underfunding that maternity services are currently going through? Is that a worry for you thinking, oh, this is what where I'm going to be working? Does that ever come into your head? Do you ever think about yes. it? Yes, yes. And I'm I'm afraid I have to say yes. When you see the pressures the midwives are under, the pressures the unit is under, you're there at that point, but you're there as a student. You can sort of take a, a, a back step, but you know this is where you're heading. There is no sugar coating over that. And you do ask yourself, I do ask myself, do I still want to be doing this job? The answer is still yes, but that is sometimes pushed, <laughs> pushed yeah. to the limit. And it's trying to see how you can protect yourself, how you can be resilient, build your resilience, but also recognizing that. And you also trying to be supportive of your colleagues as midwives as well, being more understanding. Because at the end of the day, one of the things I was talking to my CPFs the other day that mm-hmm. In spite of all the pressures, in spite of the demands of the course of the job, at the end of the day, what do I really, really want? And for me, it was that I want that at the end of the day, at the end of that shift, that I've given the best care to that woman, family and that child and that they've had good outcomes. That is my focus. 
Hearing you say that is so reassuring and I'm sure there'll be women listening to this who are pregnant or thinking of getting pregnant. And actually, you you know, the way you've said that you are clearly focused on on the best outcome for mother and baby, despite everything that's happening around you. Yes. Yes. And many midwives, that is the operation whereby we, we, we look at the day ahead of us and nothing else. Okay, today, what can we do? for those women, those bathing, you know, people who come in, you know, that that is all we can do. That is all we can sort of have control over. Yeah, you can only do what's in front of you one day at a time. Yes, one one woman at a time. (laughs) (laughs) One really it is, one, one, one family at a time, you know, whether you've got them for 20 minutes, 30 minutes in an appointment, or you're, support, you're supporting them through the labor process, which could be, you know, a, quite a few hours. Yeah, to be with women. I, w- I was thinking, again, why do I like midwifery? What it means to me, and most people will know midwife means with woman. And for me, that term is is very personal. It's that's what I want to do. I want to be with that woman at that time, in in spite of the challenges around the profession, the service. I, I want to be with that woman during that time. I think everything you've said there can can actually help you and help others remain focused in like a very pressurized situation at the moment. Can I ask you, because we, I mean, what you've said there is just beautiful, but have there been any real standout moments, you know, in the past five years that you remember or since you started working in maternity services that have made you feel, I guess, a real sense of reward after a day or after a difficult, difficult week? Gemma, that's what keeps me going back the following day. (laughs) So there are so many, yes. Yes, there are so many, to tell you the truth. It could be that you've supported a family and the labour has been long, but when that baby comes out and it's positive outcomes, mum is happy, the family are happy, baby is well, you're like, wow, that's why I'm here. Yeah. And you may go into another clinic and it's running late and you're pressurized. But at the end of the clinic, that last lady goes away. She's happy. You know, you've you've managed to answer her questions or you've reassured her or you've had to refer her on to another service that she needs. That is what you then say, okay, I'm coming back to work tomorrow. I know what you're saying. There's a sense of reward in knowing that you've helped or supported someone in some small way. And it means so much, of course, to people who are pregnant, particularly for the first time when they're nervous and, you know, concerned for a lot of things. So... I'm glad that you said that, Catherine. This has been a lovely conversation because amongst amongst all the pressures and the challenges that are happening in maternity services right now, there's so many midwives like yourself doing a sterling job. You know, people are are leaving the profession, but you're you're digging in. You want to stay. You want to support women. You want the best outcomes. And and that's so nice to hear, Catherine. We will have to check in with you when you've completed your training. thank you thank you and um we'll 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 check in how many babies you've caught how's everything going (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, okay, okay. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, Gemma, the other thing I wanted to add, to just add that all, yeah. obviously we know during the pregnancy journey, um, the outcomes aren't always positive and there are some difficult moments as, as well. And it's just to mention that so that there is that balance. But in all of that, as a student, as a maternity support worker and the midwives that work with us, we still want to be there for that woman as well, for those families who maybe, you know, have lost a, a baby. So that is also the other side that we carry as people in this profession. I know. And it, it's just to mention that as well. Thank you. And I mean, supporting women who are bereaved or, or those who've miscarried is never is never an easy part of the job either. Yeah. So yeah. We really res- I really respect you for being able to do that and consider that. Catherine, it's yes. been so enlightening and actually really Thank positive you. talking to you. And you've lifted Thank my you. spirits. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it, it is good. It is good. It is good. <laughs> And like I said, we will check back in with you when you finish your training. Thank you. Posted on how it's all going. And I will. Take care. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you. Thanks to all my guests. If you'd like to share your story or the challenges that you're facing, I would love to hear from you and love to have you on the podcast. Drop your name and contact details to media at rcm.org.uk. That's media at rcm.org.uk. Also a reminder that we now have 14 episodes in the podcast series. They are available on the RCM's website and via all the usual platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. Next month in April, we will turn our attention to the Ockingdon Review. We'll have a look at that. I'll speak to members of the RCM team to find out what we're doing to support our members in the workplace with the recommendations contained in that report. Until then, take care.